You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. Um, really excited to share this episode with y'all. Um, I interview David Flad, who is the founder of the uh, conservation nonprofit Release Over 20 Inches. And their mission is to influence anglers to follow personal catch and creel limits more restrictive than the law allows uh, by using rewards, positive reinforcement, and facts backed by scientific research. So we take a deep dive into release over 20. Um, we talk about some of the threats that uh, speckled trout, flounder, and redfish are actually uh, facing here in the Charleston area. Um, and we also talk about what gives David hope. So um, really inspiring episode. Uh, make sure that you give Release Over 20 a follow on Instagram, or if you can uh, support their nonprofit, they're doing a lot of great work um, all over the country actually, but they are based right here in Charleston. So anyway, hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Support for the Sustainable Angler comes from Emerger Strategies. Emerger Strategies is a sustainable business consultancy that was founded in 2016 with the idea of using business as a tool to solve social and environmental problems in an effort to protect the planet and the people we love. Emerger Strategies is also now offering a free sustainability assessment for any business owners who want to take the first step on their sustainability journey. For more information, visit www.emergerstrategies.com. The Sustainable Angler is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, and is now airing Saturdays at 2 p.m. on Charleston's first and only community-supported radio station, OM Radio 96.3 FM. All right, sounds good. I'd like to just start and say uh, thanks for having me on. It's it's an honor. I've heard a few of your episodes, and uh, you've had some real heavy hitters on your show, so I I don't know if I feel qualified, but... uh, I, I do appreciate it, and uh, I—it's an honor to to just come on and like spread the the message about what we're trying to do with Release Over Twenty. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, um, it's like yes. to have you on. Okay, thanks. So um, I am a—I'm actually a damn Yankee. I, I'm not from here. I'm from Western New York, Rochester area. Okay, but I've lived here half my life, so I've been here since '97. So a pretty long time. Um, didn't really get into saltwater fishing until 2006. I uh, had got into it like I think probably most people who didn't start with like a, a father or a grandfather or some family member taking them. Pretty much had a friend take me out fall time, I think November, and went trout fishing and just shrimp under a cork, you know, probably caught 15 trout that day and really just kind of excited me about fishing. So one, one bought a boat, started reading everything voraciously that I could find about fishing and, uh, started looking for, uh, a fishing club to join, but I'm in Somerville, which is outside of Charleston. Didn't have any, uh, clubs nearby each one was going to be like a 45 minute drive so i just didn't didn't act on it um but i would fish every weekend usually the same creek uh Cobber creek which is like a branch off the cooper river yep and uh that's always it's a good thing to do for anyone starting out is just kind of pick one creek and just fish it only all tides learn every bit of structure and that's kind of what i did i'm an engineer so i'm like i'm i'm really analytical So the puzzle of trying to figure out the patterns was just super interesting to me. So um, that's kind of how I got started. And then uh, it's kind of funny how things happen. Uh, I heard about a guy named Ralph Phillips was going to start a family-based fishing club in Somerville. 
so naturally, like, like I was looking for that, I was really excited. So I went to the interest meeting and he had, he, if you don't know Ralph, so he's, he's kind of a local legend among fishermen. He's uh, he was one of three original charter captains. You know, about the time I was born, he was, he was a charter captain here. It was him like my, uh, Zed White and uh, Mike Abel Sr. I think were the three. So I had been to one of his seminars, I think at Hadrill's Point. So I knew who he was, but he had brought to this interest meeting a who's who of, of fishing in Charleston. So it was like Andy Pickett, who was the um, owner of charlestonfishing.com, which was like the big popular forum here. Um, it was Mike Abel Sr. It was uh, Dave Wallace from Scout Boats. It was someone from Charleston Angler all these people that he knew to be like on the initial board and they needed someone to do like the uh, website. So I raised my hand. He didn't have any idea who I was, but I'm a tech guy. Like I, like that's my strength. So I raised my hand and I volunteered to be on the board to, to do the website. And that's how I got to know Ralph. So, um, you know, we, we started the club still didn't know each other that well. Uh, he invited me fishing one day. It sort of turned into a, uh, a friendship that, um, I think, like I mentioned, be, me being just really analytical and wanting to learn, cause I was just super interested in fishing. He, when he spoke, I listened and I really applied what he was telling me, um, to try to get better. And what he always tells me is that people always ask me for advice, but they don't listen. And I was, I would listen. Like I, I listened to everything he said and um, everything from like reading the water to technique, to uh, trying to understand patterns. Um, I, I was just a sponge. So that's, I think that's kind of how we, we hit it off and started to fish more and more together. And that led to um, the idea, this is, you got to remember, this is like 2011 to 2012. YouTube was there, but it wasn't really like it is now where there's so much fishing out there. Right. Like instruction. It just wasn't there. So we were like, why don't we start a business and like, I'll, I'll like be a videographer and we'll teach people how you taught me. We'll record it. And we'll put it on YouTube and, and, you know, it's like the underpant known uh, South Park episode, right? It's like then profit <laughs> <laughs> didn't really have much of a plan, but it, we started doing that. I bought some equipment and I was terrible at it, to be honest, but um, I have all this footage of fishing trips and I was paying attention to what was happening in the industry. And it was just all of these fishing channels were popping up everywhere. And I was like, this is, this is a ridiculous business idea. We'll never make a penny doing this. It's, it's already out there for free. You know, why, why would we be any different? So we were just trying to, you know, figure out what we were going to do. And he had said in passing, like he always fished this kind of a jig head called a Coty jig, which is like a red painted head with a painted eye, big painted eye. And he used to be an offshore fisherman and a lot of the big offshore trolling plugs have these giant eyes on them. And he was always convinced that that made a difference. So he had said in passing, like, you know, I, I fish this jig only because it's got the biggest eye I could find on the market, but I really liked one with even a bigger eye um, because I think it'd be even better. And that's where the whole idea of um, what is now eye strike fishing came from. Again, me being an engineer, I was like, well, I think I can make one. Like I can design, I'll figure out how to design one, figure out how to get a mold made, and then we'll we'll try it. Like, why not? So let's like pivot the business and maybe we'll make jig heads. So we made, we, you know, it took probably six to nine months, finally got a design and got a, a initial mold, like a six cavity mold made, hand poured, and started making what's today the uh trout eye three sixteenths jig head and um 
it worked really well. Yeah. Uh, for us personally, we, we really made it for ourselves. Mostly we were just pouring them by hand. And, um, it turns out we're friends with, um, Daniel Nussbaum, who's now the president of Z-Man. Yep. We gave him some to try and he loved it. And he, he was like, uh, let's figure out, let's open our books. If you don't mind, I'll open my books. You open your books. We'll figure out if we can make this work so we can carry it as our product. Um, if you're interested and, uh, we were like, oh my God. Yeah. Cause it, they're a giant, you know, they're one of the world's biggest lure companies. So we really literally went from doing like supplying Hadrill's point here locally doing like $500 in sales every two weeks or something to overnight being a worldwide product, Wow, that's um, awesome. which is amazing. Like it's still, we, you know, we count our blessings every day. Cause it's like, it's a, it's a pretty incredible to be partnered with a company like Z-Man. And, you know, that's grown into, uh, I don't know, we have probably eight different product categories now and 150 SKUs, you know, just different hook sizes, different jig types, um, you know, this or that. So anyway, that that's kind of the history of how I got in the industry in the first place. But um, the, the origins of release over 20 is that, of course, again, Ralph being my mentor, he's known as like a trout guru, like all about speckled trout fishing. And naturally that rubbed off on me and it's like, it's all about artificial lure fishing and trying to catch a big trout. And I didn't really realize it then, but now I have a, a, a very, um, I guess, uh, probably uh, more than most people, I have a very good understanding of what trout are around the country. And we just have a very bad <laughs> trout fishery here <laughs> for size <laughs> and quality. And, um, I don't really know why that is. I have my theories and I think uh, DNR has some theories, but anyway, I was hoping to catch more big trout. I just feel like they didn't have many. So I was asking um, some people who are involved with like high up in CCA and like, how do we make laws? Like, could we ever get an upper slot for trout? And I didn't know how laws are made here in South Carolina. And I was told there's no way it'll never happen. And I was like, why not? Well, our, we're one of, I think, two states in the country whose um, state legislature makes our laws, not the, not like a committee, um, not our DNR. It's a, a lawyer or a, a legislature, you know, a Senator or um in our state government who, you know, some of them are knowledgeable about fisheries, but some are not, and a lot of them are not. So it's very political. And if you have people um, in other parts of the state who are vocally against, um, you know, restrict restrictions that might be better for the fishery than it is for the fishermen, mm -hmm. it's probably never gonna pass. You know, you know how, you know, it's politics basically. So. I got frustrated, you know, I was like, man, that, you know, that, that sucks. Like what, what, what can, what can I do? So I, I was thinking about it and I always tell people this because in hindsight, it sounds stupid, but at the time this was a big epiphany for me. And that was, why can't I make my own upper slot and just follow it? even though it's not the law, the law says I can keep any trout over 14 inches. Um, why can't I make my own and pick a number? I pick 20 inches. Why can't I just say my upper slot is 20 inches. If I ever catch a trout over 20, it's automatically going back because it's my law. Like this, this was like, Oh my God, this, this makes perfect sense. Like I'm going to just start to do that. I'm going to do it now. And so I've been doing that now for like, I don't know the exact, date that I started, but it was probably 12 years ago. And I've just, I've been doing that myself just, and I've told people like, you know, social media wasn't as big back then. So it was like on forums, I would just say, you know, look at this trout I caught. And then I released it. Like I released all my trout over 20 
um, and here's why. And then um, it was interesting because people would stop me at places like, um, you know, like the Hadrill's Point Expo and I would never have met them. And they'd say, oh, yeah, I follow you. And uh, I started I started doing that, too. And I was like, really? That's, oh, that's cool. That's amazing. Um, and so it's kind of funny because like uh, I was talking about this just like I'm telling you right now on a podcast in North Carolina. And I was like, you know, I'm thinking about maybe trying to start something around this. I don't really know what to call it. And I also don't know if anyone's going to care, but I'm really busy and I just haven't had it. I just haven't done it. You know, I haven't thought about it um, seriously yet. And it was interesting because um, a guy named Joe Neely from at the time he was at CCA North Carolina was listening and he got a hold of me and he's like, look, man, this is exactly aligned with what we want to promote. You really need to make this a thing. Look, like I can help you like get it organized, get started. We'll get a logo. And I was like, that's a, that's the kick in the butt I needed. So it was like, that that's a huge acknowledgement of it. People do care and and that it has some legitimacy. You know, yeah, North CCA in North Carolina telling you that that's pretty cool. Right. So that's that's kind of where it started. And man, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> so ever since then, this was uh, early 2020, around the around the beginning of um COVID. And I started doing this um nights and weekends after my full my full-time job is i'm a, I'm a like an optical metrology engineer um and then also running the fishing business so this was kind of in this in my you know quote unquote spare time and what i would do is um i set up like a website and a way for people to enter their releases in a database and then they could request uh free stickers and then also, um, I was like, well, I'll just go and I'll ask different companies if they'd be willing to send me some product that I could put together into some giveaway packages and then pick um, a random, from, you know, from all entries for that month, pick a winner and then get to reward them for practicing conservation. And that's how I started. Just kind of, I was mailing these you know, hundreds of envelopes myself. Um, getting all this, all the stuff for the giveaways and, um, really made an Instagram page and it was growing like 20% a month, um, up till six or 7,000 followers in the six month period. I think it was amazing. Awesome. And, and people from Texas to New Jersey, right. Just all over the coastal East coast, uh, Gulf, Gulf coast and East coast of the, of the country. Um, so yeah, so I got to a point where I was getting like a, a very busy and the other thing, man, I just, I didn't want people to think I was doing this as an avenue to promote eye strike. Like this is something that I care personally about. If I didn't have the fishing business, I'd still do it. Yeah. I would, you know, I would do it um, 100% without iStrike. And I was using like iStrike's, uh, you know, assets, printers, um, email, you know, website hosting. It was all being funded by the fishing business. And I, I decided I was going to, uh, spin it off into a 501c3 nonprofit to keep it completely separate for that reason. And so that's what I did starting in 20, uh, fall of 2021. Um, so yeah, I've been, I'm sorry, I've been talking constantly, but I, I could talk about this all day. So <laughs> I'm going to take a break and, yeah. and let you respond. <laughs> no, no, no. I like it. I mean, that that's the, the, I, that's why I love doing this podcast. I love learning and, and hearing these stories. And I think that that's all uh, incredible. Um, and so the, 
So Release Over 20 is now a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, but you, you, and maybe it's, it's Ralph and you alluded to it, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit curious because it's like, you know, you're like, Hey, I'm doing this for personal reasons. You're obviously passionate about it. Um, who, who, who are maybe some of your, your conservation heroes that maybe inspired you to, to, to start something like this and, and take a leap, a, a, a leap and, um, yeah, just I'm I'm curious to know who who has inspired you in in that regard. That's a great question. Um, so I have several. I want to start, and and this person doesn't even know I'm going to call them out, but um, there's a guy um, um, who goes by Hoppy Hopkins. Uh, he's a local captain in Isle of Palms, and he was pretty active on Charleston fishing, like you know, 15 years ago. And someone that people looked up to, and he had he had planted the seed about like releasing big trout in some posts that he made in a forum, and I was just a very interested listener to that. And he kind of got me thinking that way to start with, and he he probably has no idea about that, and I don't really even know him that well, but that was very early on. Um, but I also had been a follower of. Uh, person who's now I consider a friend, Chris Bush, um, who runs a, um, a business called the speckled truth, which is a, it's a, it's, it's primarily, uh, all about speckled trout and it's out of, he, he's in the military. So he's moved to different States. He's currently in Texas, but it's well known among people who fish for trout. Like everyone knows about Chris and speckled truth. He has a mantra, um, uh, take what you need and release release the rest. You know yep. that was another kind of uh, influence on me. And um, also, I had taken a trip to Texas to trout fish. Um, and a lot of those big trout anglers in Texas are have long been proponents of conservation. And I was with uh, Captain Wayne Davis, who's down in um, um, Port Mansfield, uh, Southern Laguna Madre, and he. And uh, Ernest Cisneros, he's a, he's another guy that's like down in the very south part of Texas. They started a program called the Empty Stringers Catch and Release Program. And uh, when we went to fish with Wayne, he told us about it. And he's like, look, um, this is what we ask all of our anglers. It's like, if you agree to release everything that we catch today, um, I'll give you some free stuff. And also everyone who does it for the year has a chance to win like a $1,500 prize at the end of the year that we'll pick at random. And I, and I was going to do that any like release anyway, but I was, I was like, that's so cool. I get a t-shirt and a mug, you know, and some random stuff from sponsors. And then the chance to win that big prize, that was a huge influence on me. Cause I was like, you know, I think that like, I, I love that, that concept. And I love to be able to take what it's been my personal philosophy and see if it's like, if I can make it more of a national thing and maybe if we get enough people to get on board with this concept, like we can really make a difference. And I, and I really do believe that, but um, so I would definitely count Wayne and Ernest as, um, as another big influence on me, but I'm, I'm pretty much like, I don't know. I think a lot of people are just born that way. You know, I just, I, I'm just naturally conservation minded. Like for example, um, Ralph and I were fishing up here in the Ashley river, um, probably six years ago. Um, and we're just noticing all this trash in the water. It was everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, Ralph, we got to do something about this. Like and we were both involved in the fishing club at the time. And I'm like, well, I'm going to organize something and called it the Ashley river cleanup. And we did it for like four years at the peak. I think we had 105 people and maybe um, 27 boats and, and kayaks all launching with trash bags. And we ended up over those four years removing like 27 tons of trash from the upper Ashley wow. river. And um, it, it made a real difference. You can go up there even now and it's nothing like it was. It's like so much cleaner. And it's a good feeling, man. It's like, 
you know, if you, whenever you do an event like that, you are so triggered by litterers. It drives me crazy to see people litter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, all you got to do is spend a day cleaning it up to get really pissed off when you see someone just casually throwing a bottle out the window, you know? Well, I, th- I think, too, the, you know, as, you know, as anglers, I feel like you you sort of or you hope anyway and, and and it seems like based on the success of of release over 20 that you know you feel or at least i do sounds like you do too um a, a sense of responsibility right because it's like hey i'm i'm a i'm a user and i benefit from this resource that you know it brings me joy it can bring me dinner it, you know it, it's like i, I got to take care of this and you know, as as a father, that means a lot, right? Because like, mm-hmm. what are we what are we giving them? What are they? You know, what are they inheriting from us? Um, and and in Charleston, I mean, it, it it well, it's everywhere, right? I mean, there's plastic everywhere, there's trash everywhere, and obviously that's a that's a threat to our fisheries. I mean, mm-hmm. I I think the the scariest statistic, I guess, that I'm that really resonated with me was that they're like saying that by 2050 like there'll be more plastic by weight than fish in the ocean and it's like that's insane Mm um i mean how Mm -hmm. how how is this happening um and so uh doing the, the the litter sweeps and and the cleanups are and I'm also a believer, by the way, too, of, you know, when, when if you go out and get your hands dirty, like it, it, there's there's nothing that 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 cures um, sort of that that depression of like, God, is this hopeless than, than actually getting out and doing something about it? You know, exactly. And and I mean, that's the. To me, it's, you know, it, it maybe it's self somewhat selfish, but it's like. Yeah, I mean that makes me feel good to to do things like that. And mm-hmm. so as a sort of a a question, I would say, you know, we, we know that that plastic pollution and, and all styrofoam and, and everything else we find in the water um are threats, but what are what are some of the the threats to to speckled trout is is one question I have. Um and I know y'all also do stuff with sheep's head and and southern flounder too but mm-hmm. what are, what are some of the the threats they're facing and also why is 20 inch the the number okay good question so um trout are very susceptible to cold and yeah. we have on average like every six years we have a cold snap and a trout kill that's just due to natural uh, fluctuations in wintertime. I think with the way the climate's warming up, it seems like it's going to be less in the future than it has been. But, um, you know, 2018 was our last kill. It wasn't that bad, but I think 2010, we had a really severe um, trout kill. So the good thing about trout is they're prolific spawners. Um, they spawn, a female spawns about every four to five days throughout the um, warm weather months. Um, they peak in the spring and the fall and drop off a little bit in the summer, but they, they are very prolific. So they recover really quickly. And in fact, when we had our last kill in 2018, um, DNR had, had made like a, um, let them go, let them grow, um, campaign. And it was encouraging people to voluntarily release everything. And, in fact, the numbers in the following years really showed that there's evidence that those the recreational angler response to that made those that recovery like exponentially faster. Wow. There was a very little blip um, year to year after 2018, which is amazing, right? Yeah. Um, so as a result, we actually don't have a problem right now here in Charleston for trout, we have one of the best trout fisheries we've had in recorded history um, from the trammel net surveys results. Like a, we have a lot of trout right now, which is great. And a lot of big ones too. Um, so that's, 
That's great. But I think it's like, I'd really like to talk more about Flounder if you don't mind. Yeah. For um, sure. So if you look at our mission and vision, it has nothing to do with speckled trout or 20 inches. Um, it's more about just making your own loss. Like, you know, you know, make like practicing um, limits that are more restrictive than the law allows. Yep. And whatever that may be, it's your choice. You know, the, the thing about this is it's not, it's not um, waiting for a law to change. It's something that each and every one of us can do today. If you really care and want to make a difference and for the better, you can start today. Yep. You just, just put a stricter uh, limits on yourself, whether it's catch or creel. Um, if the, if the limit your you know legal limit is 10 make yours five make it two you know just really cut back because the laws aren't changing fast enough i don't believe to respond to the pressure especially like in charleston we've got exploding population we've got more boats in the water than ever we've got it's so much easier for people to target successfully target fish and their learning curve is so short because they have all these um you know, YouTube and Salt Strong and these different places that help you be successful, plus electronics. You know, you can pass by a dock with side scan and count the redfish underneath it. Right. I mean, they really don't stand much of a chance um, if you if you don't use some restraint. So flounder, so what, I guess uh, I, I feel like I'm going all over the place here, uh, Rick, I'm sorry, but. No, no, um, you're, you're, you're good. You're good. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is, is influence people to, to practice release over 20, or at least the philosophy of our mission. And, and one of the main ways we're doing that is by using facts that are gleaned from uh, research that that's, um, you know, buried in some research paper that you never may see. Right. Um, and we're trying to get that out there. So people, all people know them, it's familiar to them. Right. So I just, and I want to use myself as an example, because I feel like I'm pretty in tune with biology and fisheries, but in fact, I, I'm not, it turns out <laughs> a few years ago, I had a great fall for flounder. I, I caught four or five flounder over 20 inches. I kept them all. I was like, flounder fishery is better than it's ever been. Isn't this great? <laughs> and then uh, then DNR started coming to like our fishing club and other places um, with a presentation that shows the flounder fishery has been in um, decline for 30 straight years and it's close to almost collapse. Really? And I, my experience was like, I've caught more big ones than ever. Well, that, if you listen to their presentation and you look at what they're showing the data, it was like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, I had no idea. I had no idea. And after I saw that, I was like, you know what? I may, I may keep like one or two flounder this coming year, but I'm going to let them all go. Well, when you look at the research papers, you learn that male flounder only reach a maximum of 14-ish inches. Mm. Um, maybe a few out of a thousand will reach 15. But our lower limit at the time was 15. So what does that mean? Every single keeper flounder is female. So- oh. In my experience, most people, if they catch a keeper flounder, it's going in the cooler because they're delicious. Yep. And they're stoked to get a good dinner, you know. And my wife, like, she she gets mad if I let a big flounder go, but <laughs> you know, it's like you, you can't blame her. That's what that's what people they love to eat flounder, right? Well, should we be surprised that we're decimating the population when we're killing all the females? Yeah. People just didn't know. I didn't know. I had no idea. So you could argue that, you know, there's, you always hear the argument about, well, what, why are the laws the way they are? Well, um, again, I come back to, it doesn't really matter. Like if you know that they're all female, um, 
either practice something like a release over 20, like let over, let all of them over whatever your upper slot you choose to be is, whether it's 22, whether it's 18, whatever. Um, but also consider keeping less of a, less of any size. Um, or even if you don't really subscribe to something like an upper slot for yourself, keep, keep half of what you used to, you know, we need to get these fish back into the population and make a recovery because otherwise, you know, you're going to buy, uh, you know, a flat skiff or a bay boat and you're going to buy all the equipment and you're going to go out fishing in a regular day is going to be struggle. And you might catch a couple fish and be excited, but my vision of the future is that you go out on any given day and there's an abundance of fish to catch. You know, you shouldn't be complaining because there's too many fish out there. Right. But it's, it's all in the attitude, you know, it's about how, how you can contribute and as an individual. Yeah. And I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm, you know, personally, I mean, I love, fishing for, for speckled trout, flounder, but my, my favorite, uh, is, is, is tailing redfish in the grass. I mean, I just, I just love it on a, on a flood yeah. tide. You're, you're sight casting. It's exciting. Um, but I really, you know, I release every redfish I catch, mm-hmm. you know, it's just as a personal thing. And, you know, if I'm going to keep a speckled trout, I mean, I, I, I don't, take anything that I'm not going to plan on eating that night. Yeah. It's like, okay, we got something to eat for dinner tonight. Cool. Um, We don't need to fill the entire cooler up and then let them get freezer burn in the freezer and waste of life of these fish, you know? Um, So I, I think that's, you know, when we talk about threats, it's like, you know, Charleston's got this booming population. Like you said, we've got, uh, more boats on the water, more people fishing, more access to information, which is, you know, great to get people into fishing. But I think the idea is that, or at least for me anyway, it's like, I think it's great to have more anglers if you can turn them into conservationists. Exactly. Like, so it's like the more conservationists, the better, right? Because then it's mm-hmm. like, all right, then you've got an army of people who are, you know, subscribing to the same ideas or philosophies like release over 20 and um putting the fish back and and you know basically respecting the resource and i think that's something that you know at least hopefully with you know this interview that we can maybe educate some some folks on and and get them behind this because you know you i just think that we're there's like a, a a quote from this uh writer tom tom mcguane it's like we've we've reached the, it's something like we've reached the time in the life of the planet where every ha- angler has to basically be a uh God, i can't remember uh, uh basically a conservationist right mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you got to be a steward because um if you're not then there's it's going to go away i mean it, it can collapse if you just give it a chance to breathe and let it do what it knows how to do. It, it can rebound, but not at the the current rate. I don't think that we're, we're going. Um, Absolutely agree. And, and you know, um, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't yeah, no, 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 go ahead. So I, I love to talk about redfish a little bit. So ha- have you seen the, like the travel net surveys over the last 30 years for redfish that I'm, I'm, the DNRs I'm, put together? I'm sorry. It's, by the way, for everyone listening, it's like 75 and sunny in Charleston. I've got my window open and I'm <laughs> recycling truck just drove by, so I didn't hear you. What? Oh, it's a beautiful day. Yeah. Yeah. So the our red fishery is actually um, in decline as well, pretty badly. And you might wonder, like, what's going on because we have an upper slot for redfish, and that's one of the reasons we don't re- we don't currently um, recognize redfish releases because they're really well regulated around the country most most places um not to saying not to say that we won't include them in the future we just have to figure out what's the best way to do so but um i've been a tagger a volunteer tagger for dnr for gosh um nine or ten years now i think i've got over two thousand fish um tagged and that's one thing that you really understand about redfish when you tag fish and that is you can 
you can tag a redfish under a particular piece of structure. And then that same fish will be caught on the same exact place at the same time of year, the next year, the next two years. Hmm. Um, they, they come back to the same place. So you, when you're analytical person like me, you think about, okay, what does that mean? Okay. Well, let's say you have a dock, like, picture a dock in the Wando River, which is, there's many of them there that at a certain time and a certain tide in the summertime, you can just catch them a lot of redfish under it. Like they're, I don't they must be stacked under some dock, but let's say uh, a boat shows up there in the morning and they keep their limit of redfish and then they pull out and the next boat comes in and they keep their limit of redfish. Uh, how many days will it take until that dock is completely cleared out of fish? Right. Um, not long. And they're never coming back. Well, if you let them go, they'll be back there next year and a year after that until they get big enough to move offshore. Um, so especially in a place like the Wanda that has so much pressure, you have to ask yourself when you catch any given redfish, What's the likelihood that's been caught and released before? I'll bet it's pretty high because I've had fish caught three, four, five times that I've tagged and often in the same structure, you know, so it's so important to release these fish. But if you, if you go back to like, why are they in decline? Well, one thing is that with all these extra people on the water, they're doing just that. Like they're, they're keeping, maybe not, not even keeping their limit. Maybe they're keeping a few, but it's like the, the cumulative effect adds up quickly. And also there's a little bit of release mortality that can happen as well, especially in the summer. But the main thing, like I've been talking to, um, to Matt Perkinson at DNR off and on about this, but if you think about it, in you know our bull red fishery is really strong here and we've got hundreds of guides that target them day in and day out the jetties um the grillage the under the raveno bridge and all these hot spots for them and why are they there from august till october um they're there to spawn so these fish are getting targeted like right when it's most important for them to spawn mm-hmm. so if you're, you know, you know, you, you and your wife are, you know, getting ready to, you know, get to it. And then someone comes in and like scares you, <laughs> are you going to feel like continuing? Probably not. Right. For a while. <laughs> so, you know, you get a hook in your mouth and pull out of the water and uh, stressed out. And, um, you know, you got to worry about predation by sharks and other things too. I mean, it's got to be really disruptive to spawning, but how do you quantify that? I think it's going to be really difficult to do, but it's kind of like common sense. If you think about it, I don't know what the solution is, but you know, a lot of other States are a lot more aggressive in how that they manage that. They might, they might uh, close an area or, or, or have like an off um, a month off or something like that. Um, I'm not necessarily promoting that, but I, I'm just saying that, um, it doesn't, it doesn't make, it, it's not, you know, it, it, I guess it, it's, um, I have to think about how to say this. It's plausible that we're our own worst enemy in that regard by targeting these bull reds and they're trying to spawn. Right. And then that, that would re- re- result in fewer um, spawned fish in our population. Right. Yeah. Kind of makes, kind of makes sense. Well, there, there's a couple of things too that you said, like, so like when we first started the conversation, you're like, I, I, I picked a Creek and like learned it up and down. And mm-hmm. I, I live in West Ashley and at the end of my street, I, I can launch my kayak. And I, I mean, I still, I still fish it. That's like the spot that I go um, for flood tide redfish. But like, I, I exclusively fished like this particular area, like kind of near my house for a couple of years, like just to, to learn everything I could about it, like in, in my backyard and redfish were there. And now 
they're not like they're they're, they're they used to be there's several flats that used to be there and they're not and to your point i think that's the the reason that that happens is because exactly what you just said there's there are they school up they kind of hang in the same locations and people find out oh there's a school here and you know you get enough people doing that and whether they're taking one or two or the limit whatever but that's how you wipe out a school of redfish and then it takes yeah. a while for it to rebound and then like so now it's been enough years where um think maybe there's some new schools that are like moving in but it's taken a long time like mm-hmm. it, it's not it's not a it's just not it, it's not sustainable i mean in, in in the end like you can't keep beating these fish up and taking them all and expect them to to stick around like they just don't stand a chance right um but that's there was there was somewhere i was going with that um Anyway, it escapes me, but the, well, I'm, I'm curious to know, um, what, like, so y'all, you've got all this in your analytical and you've got all this data that the anglers have been submitting. I mean, what are, what are some of the, um, I don't know, what are some of the coolest findings that, that, that maybe has, has come out of that data? Yeah. That, so yeah, like you said, we have so we have this database, and we are you know people enter their fish, and on our website, which is releaseover20.org, we have all this data analytics, which probably would come no as no surprise me being an engineer and uh, you know loving to look at data, right? So the cool thing is this all comes from our database. You enter a fish and hit refresh on the website and the releases ticks up by one. So even during this time we've been talking, we probably had, you know, two or three fish entered into the program. Um, and we have all these things like um, leaderboards, national leaderboards for anglers. Um, like if you released, you know, eight fish, you might be number three in the nation for releases for this month, for example. Um, we also have a state leaderboard. So, um, what state has released the most fish? We also recently started a guide program where we're encouraging guides to, um, be advocates for release over 20 because it helps them in their area, um, to improve their fishery. And it's, we're, we're kind of giving incentives for them and their clients to release fish by rewarding them with different things. So we have a, a national leaderboard for guides as well. And, and we also have a, like a, a page for every state where we have um, like a state leaderboard and state guide leaderboard and the top catches in the state overall. So th- there's like a million ways you can display this data. That's interesting. And our, our most um, important metric that we consider for ourselves is the number of unique participants. So um, that's how, how many unique people have entered even one fish. We have a lot of people who are like serial um, participants that have we've one person that's entered almost 400 fish since we started. And we have a lot of people that have entered just one. But I think we have... Um, Roughly 200. I can tell you in a second. I had that page pulled up. Um, I'm sorry, 2,000 um, people, um, unique people, and we're looking to maximize that by just you know podcasts like this. I think we have, currently have seven, 1,720 unique anglers that have entered fish so far, and uh, the average releases per angler is 5.09. So, um, it's, you know, it's just kind of interesting to look at, but one of the cool things to to your point, to your question is, um, I don't think that most people realize how good of a trout fishery is in Virginia. Hmm. I know I didn't, but they're always month after month after month, our number one participating state. Um, we've had anglers from Virginia in like the late fall catch and release, um, 40 to 50 trout over 20 inches. 
in one month. Um, yeah. It's insane. Um, and, and they're often catching really big trout, you know, 26, 27 inches in Virginia. And so most people would say, if you ask them, where, where do you catch big trout? They'd say Texas and Florida, probably. Yep. And um, not Virginia, but Virginia is kind of a sleeper. Um, and I don't think because of release number 20, I don't think they're under the radar like they'd like to be anymore. Right. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I look at the current month and they're in the lead like they always are with uh, 33 fish entered so far this month, halfway through the month. That's um, you know, you know what I thought about too when you were when you were saying about the guide program. You know what's what's cool, to, or or maybe I don't know if people are using the data in this way, but like if I was gonna hire a guide, like I was going to Virginia for whatever, you know, for whatever reason, and I was gonna get a guide for the day, I could look that up and be like, well, number one, I want to support a guide who's conservation minded, and. Number two, I could look at this and be like, well, this guy obviously knows how to catch fish because he's released or she has released whatever, however many fish this month or this year. Like, so clearly they know where the fish are. So I'm going to support this guide. So I'm going to support a conservation minded guide because they've released that many fish. Exactly. And that's that's exactly why we set this up this way, because for just exact that reason, you can go to South Carolina. Right. And you'll see on the South Carolina page, a, a, a guide release leaderboard. And number one right now is Justin Carter from Redfin Charters. He's a friend of mine. He knows how to target and catch big trout like nobody else I know. And he is very conservation minded and releases them all, as do many of the Redfin guides. And right there for no cost to them is all the guides in South Carolina that, that support and participate in release over 20, their logo, their contact information. I can just go down that list and find Justin, give him a call and, and book a charter with them. So yes. that's for the guy. That's a pretty good incentive, right? It's, it directly impacts their business. That's um, super cool. I mean, that like, yeah, if you're a guide, you need to, Get on board with us, I feel like. I yeah, mean, in fact, that's what we call it. Get on board program really? with the guide. Yeah. Yeah. And um, um and along those lines, like we also we created a new giveaway category only for client releases for from guides. So when they have a client that might want to keep their big fish, you know, they we kind of have like a, a sort of a outline of a script for them to say, hey, you know. This is totally voluntary, but if you would like to participate, this is something that I support and it'll make, you know, next, when you come back in years in the future, it'll make a better fishery for you. But if you just agree, this is kind of like the, the empty stringers thing. It's like, if you, if you agree to release your fish over 20 inches, here's a free decal yeah. and we supply them to the guides. So immediately they get that. But they also say, if you are lucky enough to actually release one or more fish, we have a giveaway category just for client releases. So you have a chance to win $150 worth of swag and products. Um, just again, just for agreeing to do it. So it's kind of cool. So it's an incentive for the, for the um, client as well as the guide. Well, and I mean, that that's a big, like, I don't know. I just, I, I love that. I think that that just has huge potential, right? Cause I mean, it's mm -hmm. like people, if you go fish with a guide, a lot of times, you know, that's not necessarily the case always, but a lot of times it might be people who, you know, don't fish a lot and they're trying to like, you know, either get into it or learn a little bit. And they're looking to the guide for like direction, like, mm -hmm. and, and like what's cool and what's not cool. And if they're having a guy like just, you know, it's, it's voluntary program, but just cut sort of, using it as an opportunity to educate them um, so that if they end up being, you know, anglers that wind up, you know, becoming nuts like the rest of us, they, they've got that instilled early on that that's, you know, the, 
the best way to to take care of the resource or one of the best ways to take care of the resource. Exactly. And, and we also, um, when they sign up for the guide program, we arm them with some of the basic facts about the species. Like, um, you know, a 20th trial will release 20, it's probably female and it will release uh, approximately 20 million eggs a season. Um, much more valuable in the water than in the cooler. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and then all the, all the keeper flounder are going to be female. And then um, the, the one kind of shocker fact about sheep's head is that they grow, their growth rate slows dramatically as they age. So uh, they might reach 18 inches by five years, but it'll take them another five years to reach 20. So, uh, you know, a 20 inch sheep's head is probably 10 years old. Um, so, you know, Keep keep a couple smaller sheep head and let the big ones go. Yep. Well, what so, is the? Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna. I mean, what are what are some of the things that you know are? I mean, to me, this is all. This is like super inspiring and and just just hearing about this. Um, because I mean, I you know I, I knew about release over twenty, and then, you know obviously did did some research, but I mean sort of putting this all together. I mean, what, what are some of the, the, either the success stories or the things that have come out of this that, that give you hope for the future of not only fishery here in Charleston, but, you know, like you said, I mean, y'all, y'all, y'all influenced guides and anglers, you know, through the Gulf coast and and all the way up to New Jersey. I mean, what is, what is it that, that has, has given you hope for the future of our fisheries? Oh, this is great. So, we, after starting the nonprofit, you know, we, we probably spent nine months just kind of getting organized and we're just starting to get momentum, believe it or not. I feel like we're just getting started, but we've, we started adding state reps, um, people in other states that are huge advocates, want to help, want to help volunteer, want to get involved, help spread the message. And as soon we didn't even ask for it and we had two people come forward almost begging to get involved and then we mentioned it a couple times briefly but not publicly and we've had people come out of the woodwork just wanting to get involved so we now have state reps in virginia louisiana florida and north carolina um who are just amazing. Like we, we get on the phone with them. Just we're like, okay, if you're interested, let's get on the board with, uh, get on the phone with the board, which is me, um, Carrie Browning, uh, local person and Adam Farrer, my three, my two partners right now. And, uh, we get on the phone and just to hear them talk about the impact it's had on them in their, in these are totally opposite corners of the country. It's so inspiring because we'll get sort of, you know, bogged down with the day to day and you sort of you sort of forget a little bit sometimes about what the impact is. And then you'll hear these guys say, you know, I was keeping everything I caught. Hmm. And then I heard about release over 20 and I was like, wow, that makes so much. I'm going to start today. You know, and it's like, man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, um, and I just, like I said, I, I feel like, especially we're with these state reps, we're, we're just starting to get traction and it's hard to say like what, what the end game is. I think if you can get to where, honestly, I think a lot of your followers are probably fly anglers. Most fly anglers are really conservation minded mostly releasing everything they catch. You know, if we can just get saltwater anglers in the mindset of being a lot closer to that, just having a conservation mindset instead of a show off by having a, a deck full of dead fish, you know, multiple, like how quick can you catch your limit and kill your limit? Um, just changing the mindset to, um, to releasing fish and, and just protecting the resource, like you said. I really believe we can have a huge impact across the whole country and just abundance of fish. Like you want your kids and your grandkids to have an amazing 
fishery that, you know, we all know how much joy it brings us to be out in nature and see the sunrise, you know, catch a fish, you know, you, you treat it like as valuable as it is, you know, and, and let it go to be caught again. It just, it adds so much to your lifestyle to be able to enjoy that and to have the possibility of future a being one of um, poorly managed um, overfished, like fish all day, hardly get a bite as being the norm to option B going out and just having an abundance of fish seeing, you know, if you ever, you've probably, you may have seen this, you, you come up on, you look over the Spartina into a little pool on a flat and you see 15 tails. Yeah. You don't even want to cast at them. You just want to watch, you know, wouldn't it like my vision is like, let's, let's shoot for abundance. Let's, let's, let's have our future be one where there's just these incredible things to experience. And the thing is we can make it happen. It's in our own control. We can just voluntarily um, do the right thing. You know, that's what gives me hope. Well, I absolutely love that, David. Um, I'm super psyched about uh, getting a chance to to finally meet you. I feel I think we were kind of like pinging each other on Instagram for a while, or I, I, I was pinging you is probably the better way to say it. But I'm glad we finally got got time to to talk about this. Where? Um, because I love what y'all are doing. This is super cool. Um, where can people find uh, more info or find a guide if they want to book a guide who's releasing a lot of fish and, and all that good stuff? So uh, releaseover20.org is our website. We also have, we're primarily on um, Instagram at releaseover20. We also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page and group. So any of those places um, you can find us. And if, if you don't mind, I, I want to plug our, our fundraiser event coming up. So yeah, for sure. We have, we have a sec, this is the second year of our event. We call it cast it forward. And it's, this is a um, event that's hosted by the post and courier and it's at Firefly Distillery on April 29th, um, Saturday, April 29th, 11 to 5. And this is an outdoor uh, awesome venue with music. We're going to have um, Tia Clark from um, Casual Crabbing with Tia is going to be our featured speaker. She's got an amazing inspirational story. And C.A. Richardson from Flats Class TV is a high-profile national-level TV host um, among a whole list of um, kids activities and seminars about different kinds of fishing, sheepshead fishing, um, trout fishing from people around the country. Um, last year we had over 500 people. It was a huge success this year. I think it's going to be a lot bigger and a lot better. And we'll have um, like an auction. Uh, we're, we're raffling off a, a almost $3,000 kayak and um, this is how we raise our money. We're all volunteers. So all the money that we bring in is going right back to the participants. Um, so we hope that, you know, you can come if you got, you know, anyone that's listening, we'd love to have you come. Tickets are on sale right now on Post and Career. Um, and they're um, discounted for until after this weekend, I think. So early bird ticket sales, but we're excited. It's going to be April 29th. Um, looking forward to it. And we're working on the, uh, the details as we speak. That's awesome. Well, I will definitely be in attendance and bringing awesome. my, my four-year-old daughter, uh, and Claire, and, um, I'm going to go get my tickets right now, actually. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, but we get to meet in person. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, we, we'll, we'll have to try and get a beer before then, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, well, well, David, thanks so much for for everything that that you're doing and promoting this. I think it's super cool, and um, I, I'm 
happy to support in any in any way that that I can, and I'm glad I'm able to help promote what what y'all are doing through the podcast. And um, this is just super cool. I love it. Well, thanks so much, Rick, and thanks for everything you do with your podcast. I, I love your message, and uh, and uh, I think it's uh, it's great. So it's been an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. Uh, special thanks to David Flad and Belisa Over 20. Make sure to check them out on Instagram and, and check out their website and support them if you can. Um, just wanted to also mention we uh, have past episodes and merchandise and uh, blogs and all sorts of other uh, good stuff over on the sustainableangler.com. So check that out as well. Uh, Stay tuned for the next episode. It'll be here next month.